Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 23 beginning in verse 23 through verse 27. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come, that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. I want to teach a message today titled, In Between. Will you say that with me? In Between. Let me pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you that it's in that name and the authority and the resources of that name that your church is built. And it's built by you, it's built by your spirit, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against that which you build. So we're asking that the work of your spirit would build in our lives today. Build your church today. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our freedom. And we look to you. Holy Spirit, magnify him today. Reveal him. Do what only you can do. I acknowledge unashamedly my need for you, sweet anointing of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you're like me. That over the years of life, you've been out walking among the grocery store or as you're driving through the city or as you're at the mall and observing people and observing the scenery and observing life, I wonder if you've ever been like me and noticed two major ditches. I have found in the landscape of culture and the landscape of life and I have found as I've journeyed through life that there are two major ditches that I have observed. You know, as a pastor, I hear often as I have the honor of listening to people and their story, I hear often this phrase when people talk to me. It sounds like this. I am not an emotional person. Or maybe you've heard it another way said of, I'm not normally emotional. I get that one a lot after the gatherings. 
Or maybe you've heard this one a little more clear of what they're trying to get down to the point. I'm not normally a crier, Pastor. And over time, uh, as a minister and as a servant to the body of Christ, you learn that being nice is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Meaning just being nice in that moment isn't a fruit of the Spirit. And over time, as a minister, you actually accept what God's Word says that due to a lack of knowledge, God's people are being destroyed. And you're tired and fed up of seeing God's people be destroyed. So in a moment like that, you actually begin to just speak the truth in love and respond saying, well, you know, actually, we all are emotional. That God created all of us, me included, friend, to have emotions. Now, we might not like the fact that we're created to experience emotions, but that's a different series and that's a different issue of learning to surrender and accept and submit to the way God's created us in life to work. But the scriptures are clear that God created us to experience emotions. He created us as an emotional being. In fact, let me remind us all of what Paul tells the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. He says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify means may He set you apart. May He work His will where? May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, your humanity, my humanity, our humanity consists of spirit, soul, and body. And your emotions are part of what makes up your soul along with the mind and will. We are created to experience emotions. In fact, to be fully human is to experience emotions. We have a whole book called Psalms that is nothing but people engaging and relating to their emotions in light of God in this world and circumstances. In fact, let me tell you what type of person actually concerns me more. It's someone who doesn't cry. It's someone who hasn't cried in years. Because that is not normal. In fact, that is actually biblically abnormal. Whether they're tears of joy, tears of excitement, whether they're tears because life is difficult and the season's hard. See, I'm talking about one of these ditches I've observed. It's a ditch called suppression. It's a major ditch that many people find themselves stuck in of seeking to believe or think that they must suppress emotions. But that's not the way of God and that's not what we find to encourage and what we're called to scripturally. In fact, I remember when we were planning for relaunch and to relaunch the church in this facility and I had recently, uh, Michelle and I met new friends in the community and uh, we're getting to know them and becoming friends and 
he wanted to come and help and see the facility where the church would take place at. And uh, he came, and I remember we came into the gathering space here, and after about five seconds of looking around, he, he asked me, he said, Chad, is, is this a crying church? I had never really had anybody ask me that. So I, as a pastor, many of you think that we get, and there might be some pastors you've experienced, but many of you think that pastors get offended when you ask questions like that. Not here. We, we love, actually, for people who give some feedback. And so my ears perked up because I thought, man, what, is, what do you mean? And he said, well, I noticed there are tissue boxes on every row. And I thought, man, what an amazing, amazing observation. No one had ever really sort of through that observation communicated to that. And as I was preparing this message, I thought about that moment. But I thought about it in a different way. And here's how I want to apply what happened in that moment. God forbid we ever become not a crying church. God forbid we become a sterile, uptight, non-expressive, non-emotional, non-fully human church. So in that aspect, though I didn't tell him that day, yes, God. Thank you. We are a crying church. We are a church that is called the freedom. Freedom in Christ. And part of this freedom is to feel free to not suppress your emotions and fall in the ditch that you find so many in the landscape called life. In fact, there's a great book called The Emotional Healthy Church by Peter Scazzaro. He talks about how there's so many emotionally unhealthy churches that oftentimes when we think about spirituality or following Jesus, there is sort of this taboo that we don't include the emotional aspects of our being. But no, no, no. May the God of peace Himself, may He touch, sanctify, set apart, deal with our whole being, spirit, soul, emotions, and body. The God who created all of us cares about all of us. Come on. And the reason we find so many unhealthy emotional churches is because we have this unhealthy negative stance culturally, oftentimes, that emotions are negative. Now, these people that I talk about, that I talked about at the beginning, and as I listen to them and they seek to assure me or assure you that I'm not normally a crier or an emotional person, and they're hesitant at first to acknowledge and accept and embrace our fully human experience called emotions. Normally, what most of them are seeking to do is to inform us that they are not an emotional person. And what they're meaning is they're not one of those kind of people. What kind of people are they talking about? They're talking about the second ditch kind of person. The first ditch is suppression. Do you know what the second ditch is? It's slavery. They're trying to assure us when we see them crying or emotional, hey now pastor, listen friend, I'm not one of those people who are a slave to their emotions. Who are always just led 
by their emotions. See, the first ditch is suppression. The second ditch is slavery. People who are actually a servant to their emotions. They're a servant and a slave to how they feel. Their emotions dictate their actions and reactions, their behaviors, their habits, their response, how they live. They are as stable as water. You don't know from one day to next what they will bring to the table, so to speak. You don't know who you will be dealing with. Because emotions are not steady, but when we're a slave to our emotions, that means you're dealing with the person who will not be steady, and you don't know what they're going to bring day to day. When we become a slave to our emotions, you begin to maybe experience, and maybe you've experienced in your life or seen, they work when they feel like it, and when they don't, they don't. They're nice to you when they feel good, and when they do not feel good, they're not nice to you. Someone in this negative sense as an emotional person, someone that is a slave and is led and their whole life is primarily dictated by their emotions is a person who finds their primary source of strength or lack of it and their root for action is their emotional state. You know, there's a song I've heard bits and pieces of it over the years. It says, I got a feeling that tonight's going to be a good, good night. I got a feeling. But my question to the lyricist is, thank God you got a feeling because I don't want you in the ditch of suppression. But what kind of feeling are we talking about? Because I had a feeling that the party was going to be good and a good, good night on New Year's Eve 1998, but I found myself in the psych ward hours later. So you got to understand, what type of feelings are we talking about? Did you know that the spirit can feel? It's called intuition. Your inner man, your spirit can feel, can get a feeling. It's called intuition. The body can feel. It's called senses, the five senses, like pain and pleasure. But the soul can feel. It's called emotions. And it's these emotions we are concerning ourselves with today and in this series in January. Two ditches, someone say two ditches. Our exhortation today and our call is not to live in either ditch, but to live in between the ditches. And in between the ditches, though we're not in ditches, it's still not as clear as we would like it at times. In between the ditches, it's still messy. It's still... There's still movement. There's still inconsistencies, but... We're called to live in between the ditches. And what you find in between the ditches are signals called emotions. See, emotions are like signals. We don't want to suppress emotions. We don't want to be a slave to our emotions. We want to live in between those ditches and we want to begin to be able to engage and understand our emotions are like signals. 
They're signals of maybe something that is happening outside of you. Your emotions at times are due to things that are happening outside of you and or things that are happening inside of you. So our emotions, your emotions, my emotions are signals regarding things that can be happening outside of us and or happening inside of us. I like what Dr. John Townsend said. He said, look at your emotions as you would the instrument panel on your car. On the panel are gauges and indicators that read out information on fuel, engine temperature, RPM, oil, and tire pressure. When the indicators are in their proper range or are simply not turned on, you don't think a lot about them because they signify that things are going normally. But when the indicators go into the red, blink, beep, or light up, you pay attention because they are alerting you of a situation that needs to be taken care of. Now here's the interesting thing. Like all areas of life, whether it's finances, relationships, communication, like all areas of life, we need to be educated in it. We don't find ourselves coming into the world born as a baby already in expertise or with the knowledge needed in all the fields of life. We have to learn and be educated. Listen, it's the same with our emotional world. There's a need for all of us to learn about the landscape in between the ditches, to learn about these signals, what they mean, how to deal with them, how to engage them, what does God say about them, to be educated in them. In fact, in order to become emotionally mature, you're going to have to be educated just like to become mature and understanding in any area of life you have to be educated in. So listen, emotions are to serve us, not enslave us. Let me put it this way. Emotions are to serve you, not enslave you. See, we as followers of Jesus Christ, those of us that are a follower of Jesus Christ and committed that He's our King and Lord and Shepherd and Leader of our life, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not called to be led by our emotions. Hence, the phrase, followers of Jesus Christ. We're not called followers of our emotions. We're called followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I was gonna, at this point of the message give you a little illustration fresh out of the movie Bird Box. I was going to blindfold myself, but Kev on stage, you beat me to it, and you preached it so well, and no need for me to do it. But we're not to be led by our emotions. We're to be led by Jesus Christ. But listen, at the same time, we are not called to ignore our emotions. We're called to have a life built by God's help, by God's Spirit, through Jesus Christ, a life built with balance. Now this brings us to our text, our primary text in John 12 and 23. What did Jesus answer them? He said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified, that 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life, listen, that there is the Hebrew word for soul. He who loves their humanity. Part of our humanity are so is our emotions. He who loves the emotions, he who loves the emotional experience will lose it. But he who hates his human life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me and where I am there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Notice in verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Now in context, Jesus in his last moments with his disciples. And in context, what he tells them, If you'll follow me, one day you'll be where I'm about to be. You'll be with the Father. But in what Jesus says, there's other parallels in Scripture and other ways that that I could show you this, but I just want to metaphorically preach it to you through this passage, is what he's saying here also is if you serve him and you keep following him, you're going to find yourself following in his footsteps and in his path, which means at some point as you follow him, you're going to find yourself in an experience and in a place emotionally that Jesus was at in that moment. You're going to find yourself in a Gethsemane. You're going to find yourself in an hour where you're in between the two ditches. You're not suppressing your emotions. You're not being a slave to your emotions. But you're here. You'll find yourself at times where your emotions and feelings are afflicted and resistant to God's will. Because that's where Jesus is about to find himself. So he finishes the meal in the upper room and they go to the garden. What it means is if you follow Jesus at some point, you're going to find your humanity troubled with the demands of God's divinity upon your life. That our soul, our humanity, at some point, you'll experience affliction between your soul's wants and your humanity and the wants and the demands of God's divinity upon our life. It means at some point you will find yourself with the choice of holding on to your soul life or dying to it. To uh, holding on to a life that is anchored in your soul, in your emotions, in your own strength, in your own mind, in your own will, or dying to it so that the divine life, the Bible calls a spiritual life, is what becomes the primary source of your daily life. What I'm saying is, is if you follow Jesus long enough, you're going to follow Him right into the places and the steps that the Father led Him. You're going to find yourself in a season. You're going to find yourself in a place where your soul is troubled. You're going to find yourself with the choice that Jesus had. We read about in this text in this hour of His life, the choice to be a slave to emotions or to be served by your emotions. This is where I want to spend the remaining time we have is in between the ditches when there's signals going and bouncing, these signals called our emotions. What are some questions to ask ourselves when we're in between the ditches? 
A great first question is number one, what shall I say? When I'm living in between the ditches and there's signals going off and I'm not suppressing my emotions and I'm not being a slave to my emotions and yet there are emotions and they're signaling things, what shall I say? Notice in verse 27 of John 12, Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Jesus asked the same question in between. In between. What shall I say? Here's three things that you shall say in between the ditches. Emotions do not define reality. Denying emotions is not reality. And there's something deeper than emotions. When you find your life falling in between the ditches and you stay out of the ditches of either suppression or being a slave to the emotions... Three things you say is emotions do not define reality. That means by your emotions alone, you can't get a clear picture of what is reality and what's really happening. But also by denying emotions, that's not reality either. But there's something deeper, someone say deeper, than emotions. Notice in verse 27, he continues on, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. What we see here is Jesus shows us that emotions do not define reality because Jesus' emotions are troubled. He's afflicted. His human, his soul life is being shaken, troubled. Because you understand when God created us as humans with a soul, Our soul doesn't just naturally want to suffer and to die. I know I've met a lot of people that don't like their life, but they still don't want to die. Billions of dollars in industries are created and people hoping not to die. So what we see here is emotions do not define ultimate purpose for you and I or ultimate reality for you and I. Because his soul is troubled, but yet he says, but for this purpose. So emotions alone don't define his purpose, his calling, his, the meaning of life. There's still purpose. There's still something deeper than his emotions. But listen... Your emotions can reveal where you and I have placed ultimate meaning on. Listen, our emotions can reveal where we have placed significance on. Our emotions can reveal where we have placed our ultimate fulfillment in and on. When I get an emotion called anger, that can reveal to me where I'm placing significance on. When I experience emotions called disappointment, that can reveal where I'm setting my hopes on. So emotions can reveal where I've placed ultimate purpose, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate contentment, ultimate significance, ultimate fulfillment on. So what this means is if you fall into ditch number one and you deny and suppress your emotions it will hinder you from coming into God's reality and ultimate purpose for you. Some of you, possibly, or some listening, you despise your job. I mean, you absolutely despise it. 
And your emotions towards it are very negative. Well, do you understand that that emotion is signaling something? What is it signaling? That's a good question to ask. You feel alone? Well, that signals something. Maybe you have put your significance in an unhealthy, a codependent way on another person or persons. And God wants to rid your soul of that dependency. So emotions signal things, and to deny those emotions can hinder God moving you and directing and leading you to His ultimate purpose, significance, and life He has for you. But the other ditch can also hinder. Being enslaved and led just by your emotions will also hinder you from coming to God's reality and ultimate purpose because, listen, you naturally will not want to experience emotions that are difficult. So if God needs to lead us through a process to get us to placing His ultimate purpose and ultimate significance and ultimate experience and experiencing that in our life, if we're just slave to our emotions, we we'll, won't continue in the process. That's why so many won't continue with their New Year's resolutions. Because to get what it is they desire, there's going to be some emotions that are the response to difficulty, to tenacity or diligence or in order to get what it is people desire. So what we see here is Jesus is saying there's something deeper than emotions. That there is actually God's ultimate purpose, His ultimate plan, our significance in Him. There, there's something deeper than emotional living. There is a spiritual life God is offering and called us to. And this ultimate purpose is a life lived in relational faith with God our Creator. It's a life not led and based on our emotions, though it's not suppressing our emotions, but ultimate meaning, which is what the Bible calls eternal life, is ultimately living forever in a relationship of relational trust with God your Creator. This is what the Scripture calls a spiritual life. A life governed by your inner man, your spirit man, the spirit part of us. Now, when we talk about preaching, listen, there's a lot of preaching, and I want our preaching to engage your emotions. I, I, I don't enjoy and say, oh, God, when I spend time in the morning praying, God, I, I, I pray today when, when we gather and I have the great opportunity, the Lord, to preach to my brothers and sisters, God, please make them so sterile. God, when they look at me, God, please make them just, just look just so dead in the face, Lord, just emotionless. God, make it be like I'm in a funeral home, Lord, down in the parlor. No, no, no. Listen, I want it to engage our emotions. But listen, there's preaching and things that just stay at the emotions and God has to get us deeper into the Spirit. I don't want our preaching not to engage the emotions. I want you enjoy to praise God. But there's also something that must be touched deeper than our emotions. 
Our inner man's got to be touched by the unseen, almighty spirit of the holy God, the Holy Spirit. There's something deeper than emotions is what I'm saying. So number one, what shall I say? Emotions do not define reality. Denying my emotions doesn't is not reality, and there's something deeper than emotion. Secondly, when we're living in between the ditches and all these signals of emotions are going out, another great question is, who should I listen to? Should I listen to my emotions? Should that be the primary influence that I listen to to determine what to do next or how to handle what I'm going through? Or should I just silence and suppress them and just listen to God and listen to my Father in heaven? Who should I listen to? Emotions or God the Father? Both. Should listen to both. This is what we see in the same verse. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. How does he know his soul is troubled? Because he's listening to his emotions. But then he says, what shall I say? Meaning he's now talking to the Father. He's listening to the Father. He's engaging the Father. Save me from this hour. So in the same verse, you see Jesus listening to his emotions, but then spending time talking and listening to the Father. So the answer is, when we live in between the ditches and we don't fall into the ditch of suppression or the ditch of being a slave to our emotions, we're to listen to both. Why? Because remember, when you listen to your emotions, you're listening to emotional signals. For instance, you listen to emotional signal, parents, and you're experiencing care. Maybe we call it anxiety. Maybe we call it concern about your children. What does that say? That emotion is signaling to you that you actually care (laughs) about your children. That you actually care. That's what that emotion is signaling. The fact that there is some anxiety means you actually care about what happens to your children. So that emotion is signaling the fact that you do have some significance placed on what happens to your children. You want to listen to that. But then the second thing in the same time living in between the ditches is then listen to the Father's voice of what does the Father say about what the emotion is signaling. So maybe the emotion of anger towards children is actually just revealing to you that you want them to get it. You want them to make good choices. That's what the emotion ultimately is signifying to you. But then you got to ask, what does the father say about my children and about the issue? So the emotion can signal I have care towards my children, But what does the Father then tell me regarding my care? To cast it upon Him. Because He cares more for my children than I do. That I can trust His work in and through and with and to my children. So I need to listen to both my emotions because they tell me what I find valuable. But then I got to ask, what does the Father say about that issue? Does he say, trust me? Does he say, surrender? Does he say, in his word, talk to them, pray for them? What does he say? So, who should I listen to both? 
Listen to what the emotions are signaling, but then listen to what the Father's voice says about that issue. So what shall I say? Who should I listen to? Number three, what shall I do? Matthew 26, 36, we see Matthew's gospel account in record of Jesus after what we read in John 12. After the meal is over, he takes them and he takes them to a place called Gethsemane. It's a place that he went often with them. And in Matthew 26, 36, it says, When Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while, while I go over and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, it's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further fell on his face and, and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot Pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 43, and he came and found them sleeping again, and for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. What do I do living in between the ditches? I say, I pray, and then I slay. I say, I pray, and then I slay. Say what? Notice what it said in verse 37. He took Peter with him and James and John, the two sons of Zebedee. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Watch this. Then he said, look at this. He began to feel emotions. Then he spoke and said those emotions. He said what he began to feel. Listen, the moment he began to feel them. When you live in between the ditches, this is one of the keys to keep us out of the ditch. Is when you begin feeling the emotion, you must express that emotion and signal. Now listen, you don't express it to everyone because a fool vents all their feelings to anyone. But listen, he spoke it to his closest circle, Peter, James, and John. You have to have a close circle that soon as you feel it, you're able then to say it. Listen, you can't make the craziness of living in between the ditches without having that stability and a context around you to be able to say the moment you begin to feel it, what's happening? Why? Because, listen, we're all tempted to start suppressing it. We're all tempted to start denying it. We're all tempted to start backing up and trying to busy ourselves or move on to another issue regarding what we feel. He began to feel it. He said it. Listen, this is how ultimately we wear the enemy down when the enemy's trying to wear us down. As soon as, let's say, 
emotional come that's actually not a God-given emotion? It's not God's best for us. It's the beginning of the series, so we'll work through all of that. Is you have to instantly communicate what's happening. Why? Because if not, you're not going to be, be, be moved to number two of what you do, which is to pray. So notice, he began to feel it, then he said it, and then look. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Watch and pray lest you, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. After you say it, now you're understanding, I'm not going to suppress it and fall into that ditch. So now that it's out in the open, let's pray about it. He says, watch and pray. I find it very interesting that, in fact, if you'll go and study really about all the miracles and things Jesus did, you'll find Him fulfilling parallels in the Old Testament. Like you understand there was prophets who fed people supernaturally. So Jesus comes and says, well, I'm actually the prophet of the prophets. And then he, he multiplies the food and feeds them. You'll see it all in the miracles. Well, you remember what Pastor Craig in, uh, preached last week, I think, about Job's friends? Well, notice Jesus, in a difficult time, he has his friends. And he tells his friends, will you watch and pray with me? Wow, we need some people that can watch over the instability of living between our ditches. We need some friends that will watch and ensure that we are praying and running to the Father with what emotions and signals are going off in our life. And the word watch means to give careful attention to. So once you say what it is you begin to feel, you have to give specific Careful attention to it. How do you do that? You go get in God's presence. Now listen, there are some of you that have heard that for years and you don't do it. Listen to me. And until you do it, there's nothing else I can do to help you. I can have the worst week, can be the worst failure as a human, but if I will go and get in what the Bible calls a secret place, just me and the Father, there is a whole nother world, a whole nother experience, a whole nother language, a whole nother thing waiting for me in the Father's presence. But if we suppress or enslaved, we won't then pray. We won't give careful attention to it. Why do you have to pray? Listen, because Jesus said the Spirit is willing to move forward, to follow the Lord, to trust Him in the season, to hold fast to Him, to keep you out of the ditches, but the flesh is weak. So what He's saying is prayer strengthens our inner man. Prayer and spending time with the Father is what opens us up that there's something deeper than even the emotions we're experiencing in the moment. There's another consciousness called spirit consciousness. We're living in between two worlds. The world that's passing away because it's rebelled against God and it is reserved for fire and judgment and it's passing away and the age and the world to come. And while we're in between, we have to say and pray to get our inner man strengthened because only then can we do what's necessary to slay. What do I mean by this? Well, look, verse 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and 
He prayed saying, Oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, you will. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, the inner man gets strengthened after you say and you pray so that then you have the strength to slay what? The I will. The will of the flesh. The will of having life and doing life dependent just on us and our resources instead of what God has made possible and given us freely through Jesus Christ. The inner man has to be strengthened to slay the selfish, soulless will that only wants to depend on our humanity instead of going deeper and learning to be sustained by His divinity. As Pastor Craig mentioned when he took up the offering, he basically summarized the verse, greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. So for me to move forward in the world in God's purpose, I need something greater than just Chad. Well, he's in me, but I have to go deeper to become conscious of him and his resource. I have to go deeper than my emotions, deeper than what I feel, deeper than I will. See, the flesh is weak regarding God's kingdom, but we think it's strong because we've lived so long in another kingdom. You and I have lived so long in another kingdom that Jesus says our flesh is weak, but we think it's strong. We think it's strong, but it's weak for the kingdom of God. See, what did Jesus say in John 12? That if the outer shell of the grain of wheat is not broken, that's what death means, if it's not broken... And if it doesn't die, then the life within it can't come forth and multiply. That outward life, which means a life dependent only on outward information. Get the bird box, those of you who've seen the movie, you know? Dependent on what you see, events, what others say, what you smell, what you taste, what you feel, what you your emotions, that outer life has to be slayed in order for this inward life called a spirit-filled life, a Holy Spirit-dependent life, a spiritual life, a life governed by the Spirit of God and the ways of God to break forth and multiply through you. There's no other way. That's what Jesus says. I think about Israel. If you're familiar with the story of Israel, if not, let me bring you up to speed. Israel was a nation within another nation, and they were enslaved to the nation they lived within. They were enslaved to Egypt and Pharaoh, and God delivered, and He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them out of that slavery, and He said, I've brought you out because I have a promised land, a place to take you in. The issue with Israel is what happened in between. They're no longer in the world, in, in, in our terms, they're, they're no longer not a follower of Jesus. They're no longer an unbeliever. They're no longer a heathen, whatever word. They're out of Egypt. They're God's people. They're chosen of God. They're redeemed of God. They're saved of God. They're cleansed by the blood. And yet, they're not yet in the fulfillment and the promised land of all God has for them. They're living in between. 
Just like we're living in between two worlds. We're not of the old world that's in rebellion to God, but we're still waiting for the kingdom to fully be revealed and set up on earth where we see it. And what happened when they lived in between? God says, listen, I have you living in between in the wilderness in Deuteronomy 8 for a purpose. He says, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply. That sounds a lot like what Jesus said. That I want the grain to multiply, but you can't multiply unless the outward shell dies and is broken. God tells Israel, I want you to live and multiply. I want you to go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. Here it is, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. What do you mean? So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger. Hey, we're fasting. Let me go ahead and give you some information. If you fast, meaning don't eat food, in a couple of days, your emotions are not going to be happy about it. Your soul, your human life and experience is not going to be happy about it. But God allowed them to hunger. He allowed a forced fast so that he could feed them with something different that they never had experienced to feed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know, watch this, wait a minute, something I didn't know so that I can know. Oh, you knew life emotionally. You knew life based on your humanity. But I have led you in between the ditches to teach you, to teach you a greater, deeper knowledge of a spiritual life that flows out of my life, a divine life, instead of your human life alone. That you might know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice, lives by. This is the spiritual life. I now still go back to the same job. I now still have the same wife. I now still have the same kids. I now still live in the same messed up world. But now I'm engaging it not from my soul life, my own human life. I'm now able to engage it with a spiritual life. A life that's coming from something deeper than my emotions. Wow. Now the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Listen, they're not just emotions, though they affect our emotions. So for those of you who fear like this spiritual life, that you're going to lose your emotional life long term, fear not. The spiritual life will enhance and affect your emotional life for good. But there are times that our emotions don't feel good, and it's in those times that the spiritual life sustains us. It wasn't good for them in the wilderness. There was nothing fun about it, exciting about it. Like there's no carnival in the wilderness. There's just nothing. It's barren. It's like gracious. But a spiritual life. See, I've found that there are times that God has led me in where it's not a season of fruitfulness to ensure I care more about the root than the fruit. That there's times that He's led me to make sure that I love Jesus, I love Him more than the effects of Jesus in my life. 
that I would be led by Him, not just by the fruits of following Him. Now, as I say, pray, and slay, what do I slay with? In conclusion, look at number four. If Jesse had come, what sword should I fight or slay with? I'm ready to slay. I'm ready to cut away this human life based on my emotions, based on my feelings, and I'm ready to live by a spiritual life that I can't earn but is freely given to me by God the Father through Jesus Christ. So how do I start slaying this human life? In Matthew 26, 51, Jesus, he's been praying and they've, Judas and the soldiers come and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, and put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or, Oh, that sounds a lot like what Jesus just told them in the upper room. That if you hold on to your human life, your soul life, your emotional life as being the main source that directs you and informs you and leads you and determines your course of action, then you'll actually lose the life that He has to offer. If you live by the wrong sword, you'll die by that sword, perish. Do you not think that I can now pray to my Father? He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. How then... Could the scriptures be fulfilled? This, it must happen thus. See, Peter drew an actual sword. Why did he draw an actual sword in a moment when his emotions were out of this world, bouncing like multi-ball in a pinball machine? Because look at verse 32 of Matthew 26, what he said before this. Jesus says, after I've been raised, I'll go before you disciples to Galilee. But Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble, Jesus, because you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you this night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, oh, no, no, no. Even, Lord, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. So said all the disciples. Peter pulled a natural sword because his source for his decisions and his actions was based on his human soul life, what he felt, his emotions, not a deeper spiritual life that only God can give through Christ. sword of I, his flesh was strong, but he thought it was weak. But you know, there's another sword we can live by instead of the strength and the sword of the flesh, your own ability and your own energy and your own humanity. There's the sword of the Spirit. Paul talked about it. He said that as believers, we have access now to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Is that not what God told Israel? That in between I've humbled you. There's difficult. It's a wilderness season that I may teach you and experience a knowing of a different type of life. A life lives by the Word of God, something deeper than the emotions. 
Oh, if I had the time, I could assure you that I'm just like you, friend, that I experienced the range of emotions just like you, that, oh, if you could truly accept my emotions are just as crazy as your emotions at times. God desires to get us all to a deeper knowing that there is an anchor that's deeper than my emotions. It's the Word of God. It's Jesus Christ. It's Christ within us. Dependency on God and His Word as we live in between. For only that Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, can divide and pierce to the division of soul and spirit. Only the Word of God, only God can divide the the soul, the human soulish life from His spiritual divine life of Christ. You've got to go and spend time in the Word. And this sword is a sword of faith to experience the deeper source that we can live by His life. It requires a sword of faith. It's, it's like what get so confused in scripture when Paul talks about it's not of him who runs or him who wheels what he's saying is it's not depend on your soul human life to get what God has for you but to just we have to learn to live by faith we, we swing a different sword and it's difficult for all of us because all we've known is another kingdom and another life that's based on our human life and our human ability. But God invites us to this amazing deeper spiritual life. But the way is only one way. It's Jesus and He'll lead us into the same place He found Himself. Troubled, anguished and so, and yet purpose still was deeper and greater. When I think about slaying and the sword of faith and that I think about John 12 and 23 as the band comes because Jesus after that he answered them saying the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified sometimes I wonder in that moment when they're just coming up here play sometimes I wonder in that moment when Peter pulled that sword out in that moment when it's flowing out of his human life He's got thoughts and thinkings. Oh my goodness. People are going to talk about how I cut off the ear of the servant. Actually, what he thought he was doing, it was the opposite. And Jesus then had to reach up and heal, restore what he had just done. What I'm saying is, is that the slaying is so that ultimately our life is a life that only God gets glorified out of. Because it's only a life that God can bring about. hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Death is hard, friends. Death is difficult, friends. And spiritual death is no different.
But after spiritual death, there's multiplication. To see the multiplication of believers and leaders in churches, to see our family members and our friends and our co-workers experience a life that we know of, it's always a spiritual death. Then there's multiplication. We glorify happiness. That's why we say Happy New Year, not like the most Christ-like year or the greatest spiritual growth year. No, it's Happy New Year's. But that's why goals and turning over a new leaf and resolutions are not fulfilled because valuable things in life require things that don't fall into the definition of happiness. Persistence. Consistency through difficulty. Discomfort. That don't fall in the definition and the framework of happy. But I want to tell you something that's better than a happy life. It's a spiritual life that only Christ can give. It's the only anchor of living in between the ditches when we have signals going off. We don't even know enough of the car manual to figure out what in the world is happening. I think about what Dr. John Townsend said. He says, it doesn't take a lot of character or maturity to feel happy when happy things happen. I want to tell all of us there's another life to live by. If it was easy, the multitudes would be lined up and begging to come in here. Churches would be filled with people demanding the cross of Jesus being held before their eyes instead of another happy word. But I want to tell you, though the path is narrow and the path is difficult, His spiritual life is worth it. May the Holy Spirit convince you how great of worth that pearl of great price is called Jesus. And how worth it is to see His life be able to multiply through areas in our life. That God being glorified becomes a supreme, supreme desire as we slay Thy will. For Thy will be done. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.